This is not the sound of a stream running through the mountains. It's water from a leaking pipe trickling down a stairway. That's not a frog splashing into a lake. It's a piece of sheetrock falling into a puddle on a kitchen floor. And that's not a hiker taking a deep breath of mountain air. It's a homeowner gasping at the sight of a $12,000 water damage repair bill. 40% of homeowners have experienced water damage. Protect your home with the Moen Smart Water Monitor and Shutoff. Moen. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Olive Podcast. I'm Janine, Olive's deputy editor and podcast host, and each week I'll be catching up with fascinating characters from the food world as they share stories, advice, and expertise. I'm delighted to welcome Eleanor Ford to the podcast today. Eleanor is an award-winning food writer, spice expert, and author of four books, Samarkand, Fire Islands, The Nutmeg Trail, and her latest, A Whisper of Cardamom, which we're going to be chatting about today. Welcome, Eleanor. Thanks for coming back to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me back. Um, I was surprised when I looked to find out it was way back in 2022 when you last came on to talk about The Nutmeg Trail. Um, which was a deep dive into the history of the spice roots. The new book is, in your words, a love story between sugar and spice. What what led you to write the book? It's really a partner book to The Nutmeg Trail because there is so much about spice that I wanted to talk about. And as I was writing The Nutmeg Trail, I had to set some limits for myself. Uh, I only wrote about savoury food and how spices can be used to enhance that. So this time, this is only sweet food. This is desserts and it's baking. And in terms of the stories throughout the book, last time was far more about the politics, the movement of ingredients, how spices and human history intertwined. And this time I wrote more about culture and how spices have woven into our stories, our mythology, and in particular how spice and love have become entwined. I know there's a lot about love in there. There's even an an A to Z of aphrodisiac spice in the back of the book. Tell us a little bit about love and spice and how it sort of intertwines. 
Well, I think it's because spices were such a special ingredient yeah. historically. They had to have come from a faraway journey. Wherever you were in the world, it wasn't where all spices would grow. Yeah. So to have spices come together meant that they'd come on a journey. They were a valuable commodity from somewhere. And often when things are valuable and special, they could be used as love tokens, as offerings. Um, so it is that spices came to be used in wedding ceremonies around the world, uh, brewed up into love potions, given as tokens of love and affection. And I had fun sort of piecing back through world history and looking yeah. at different ways at different times humans had come to view spices as somehow lovable and lovely. I think you um, you said in the book that Cleopatra tempted Mark Antony always at the other way around Absol with cardamom. Absolutely. <laughs> the greatest love story yeah. of all time. And it starts with cardamom because I think it was Cleopatra who would burn cardamom pods. The, yeah. Imagine the aroma yeah, of yeah, that yeah, and really. how alluring. And, and yes, there it is in this great love story. And cardamom is a particular love of yours, isn't it? I mean, the book's named after it. What, where, would, where did that come from? Where's that? The book's named after it. It's very much a book about all spices, yeah. but I felt that cardamom's particularly evocative. Its fragrance is so complex and beautiful, and it is a real favourite spice of mine. I think it works so beautifully in cooking, yeah. and it ties into so many of these love stories that I was writing about. Yeah. So it seemed fitting to get it in the title. Could you, t could you tell us a few of the love stories? Absolutely. I have got a whole timeline yeah. of human history in the book, uh, which looks at history through the lens of sugar and spice. Yeah. And there I've put in lots of little sort of extracts about, about love. Could I read a few of those, yeah, please? please? <laughs> I'll go to just the short entries because yeah. some of them get quite long. And it does go, the timeline's fascinating. It goes over a few pages and it starts back in 50,000 BC. So you've really <laughs> gone quite deep. I've <laughs> gone very far back. But a few little a little nuggets. Let me see what's short. Um, maybe I could look at 1000 BC. The Queen of Sheba brings gifts of gold, jewels and spices to King Solomon. Amazing. Uh, maybe we could go to um, the second century. The Kama Sutra is published, promoting aphrodisiacs of warming spices, saffron and sugared milk. Eighth century, in the palaces of Indonesia, fresh spices like turmeric and galangal are blended to jamu, bittersweet elixirs drunk by princesses to sustain eternal youth and beauty to serve their kings. Amazing, we could all do with a bit of that. <laughs> And 15th century, in the Middle East, power shifts to the Ottomans and Istanbul becomes the centre of influence as well as confectionery. Baklava, exquisite buttery pastry layered with nuts, sugar syrup and spices, is conceived and refined in Topkapi Palace and spreads throughout the empire. Wow, those are incredible. It's amazing, though, that you... And, and I think you said in the introduction... You know, it is the hand-in-hand hand sugar and spice, which, of course, um, you know, inspired the, the desserts and baking in the book. But sugar had, like, a similar journey in terms of it was rare, so it became a commodity, so it became something that was that was really precious and used in a similar way. Absolutely. And at one point in history, sugar itself was counted as a spice yeah. because it was seen as this, this precious commodity. And it's interesting charting 
the rise of sugar, how it spread around the world, its usage, and um, because of its specialness, the way that it was used in things like sugar sculptures as a real display of wealth. Let's talk a little bit about um, pra- practical things. So what, what for you does spice bring to baking? Because there's lots of bakes in the book, isn't there? There is a lot. And I think that spices being such complex and fragrant ingredients can add a wonderful dimension to your baking. And it doesn't have to be loud and shouty. I mean, it can be. Think about a really fiery gingerbread, how wonderful. But there's also, you can dial the spice right back to just a whisper. And it can add a layer of fragrance that helps brings out the taste of other ingredients. And you can use spices in a different way, the different flavour profiles that they have to kind of draw forward different elements, make fruit taste more fruity or chocolate more complex. So you can really play with very subtle spicing to just bring a greater nuance to the whole bake. Yeah, because you've got in the book, there's a, um, I mean, there's lots of diagrams and kind of flavour wheels, but... um, Right at the beginning, there's there's a kind of flavor wheel breakdown of, of of every spice in the book. I think, which is uh, the character of the spice, matching it, how to extract it. it. It's so detailed. How do you how do you go about creating that? Do were you literally? Yeah, because I know you you do judging, you do chocolate judging, and I other do. other food judging, and a lot of that is is sitting with a a pen and a piece of paper and just trying to kind of break down the elements. Is that how you approach that? Yes. When I was looking at spices, I was doing tasting myself, seeing what flavors come out. You know, the top notes, the base notes, what you're left lingering yeah. with, and I also was looking into the chemicals of spices as well. Okay, and seeing what different phytochemicals there are in there and what they are bringing to the spice and how you can temper or change some of those within uh, the way you use the spice as well. So yes, I was trying to create really useful information charts that um, I can refer back to. I was interested that in the vanilla chapter, you talk about how in baking, we actually throw vanilla in without even thinking about it now and it's become a kind of like one note thing and that you were saying we should kind of dial back on it and let let some bakes speak for themselves and then when we use vanilla kind of really use it in a punchy way tell us a bit about that I think that vanilla is such a fabulous complex exciting ingredient if you smell a vanilla bean it's one of the most complex ingredients out there yeah yet Vanilla extract, half a teaspoon, appears in so many baking recipes. I've been guilty of doing it. (laughs) I just hold my hands up. (laughs) And I think that it just makes everything taste a little bit uniform and and not so exciting. And vanilla's become this byword for bland, which it shouldn't be, because really that's the opposite of what it is. So what I've tried to do in the vanilla chapter is showcase some recipes where vanilla's used a little bit more heavily, There's even a chocolate tort where the whole vanilla bean, the skin and all, is ground in to to the recipe. So you get this fruitiness and a really intense taste from the vanilla that is perhaps, you know, challenges the conception that vanilla might be a neutral. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. 
Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal. So why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I just wanted to talk a bit about pairings. So vanilla, what would you... Let, let's do like pairings for vanilla and maybe some pairings for a couple of other spices as well. So just things that you think are really the absolute top pairings. Okay. So for vanilla, I think that it's great with rhubarb. Yeah. They are a, a magical combination together. Uh, perhaps vanilla lends itself to something where the palate is clean like a cream so it's wonderful to put quite a lot of vanilla into a creme brulee into a custard into earth a la neige something where the vanilla really has a chance to shine and sing and be the star but vanilla is also great with chocolate yeah i think we know that and as long as you are using it in enough quantity then they've both got all of these really different flavour notes that, that sing well together and they make each taste more special by pairing them. Uh, what other spice should we look at for a flavour um, pairing? What do you oh, think? Oh, let's think. Uh, should we pick a, Should we pick like a, a random hot, like a, a lesser used spice maybe? Like coriander. I know you said coriander seed, which I'm interested in because I make a lot of Indian food. So I've always got a big pot of coriander seeds. And the, the smell is, I think you said it's quite citrusy, isn't it? Absolutely. If you breathe in um, coriander seed, it's got a wonderful citrusy freshness. And when we use it in savoury cooking, we very often toast the seeds, which brings out a more nutty flavour. Yeah. But keep them untoasted. And I think they work particularly well in sweet cooking. And um, pairing, I make a pistachio cake with lemon and coriander seed. And it just is another layer of that bright freshness to help complement the kind of buttery richness of pistachio. Um, and I also think coriander seed is beautiful with fragrant fruit like quince. Yeah. Um, it's particularly good. And uh, with honey, with caramel, they can work really beautifully alongside the the fragrance of coriander seed. Yeah. I saw on your Instagram this morning you were talking about, oh, when I was looking on your Instagram this morning, you were talking about cinnamon. Let's do that one because I, I love cinnamon. Cinnamon is such a clever ingredient because although itself it doesn't really taste sweet, yeah. it really brings out sweetness in whatever it's paired with. 
So it is a great ingredient to use in baking because you can dial down the sugar a little and let the cinnamon do the enhancing. Yeah. And what would I pair it with? I think that it's really good with nuts, Yeah. Uh, with peanuts, with almonds. Um, it's very nice with su- sort of sweet fruits like cherry or fig, blueberries, strawberries. It has an affinity with berries. And... Um, it's just great with other spices in particular. It really works with nutmeg, cardamom, clove, ginger, allspice. Yeah. You know, it, it features in almost every spice blend because it harmonizes yeah, really it's, beautifully. It's a beautiful spice, isn't it? I lo- I'm, I'm always like extra cinnamon in there. If a recipe says cinnamon, I'm guilty of putting an extra half teaspoon in there. <laughs> um, maybe some other spices that I, I, I have heard of this one, wattle seed, because I was... Um, reading it's an indigenous spice to Australia, isn't it, I think? That's right. It's an amazing flavour. It's roasted during processing, which gives it this delightful coffee-like taste. Nice. And it's sort of nutty and a, almost a little bit smoky, almost like popcorn, perhaps. Mm. Um, and that means that it pairs really well with other flavours that have got those profiles, coffee, yeah. dark chocolate, Um I've used it in the book in a chocolate and red wine cake, which is very dark, rich. This is a dinner party cake. Yeah. And it's got really bold flavours that sort of all play well off each other. Yeah. Um, I love that. And and you do in the book go on this absolute journey of... Um, I was trying to work out how you came up with all of the recipes in the book you know what what was your I'm always really fascinated about process how you decided well what was a key message from me is that spicing is where you get to be playful with recipes in baking in particular I feel like we're all taught that it's a science you mustn't mess around with the recipe you can't play too much with things because you've got to get the science right to ensure you have a light or squidgy or whatever it is you're after bake. But spicing is where you get to have fun and it's get where you get to make tweaks to recipes and bring your own character to them. Yeah. So every recipe in the book, and I've chosen a huge range of my favourite types of cakes, my favourite biscuits, my favourite desserts, and I've given at least two different ways you could spice that recipe, taking it often in quite different flavour directions so that you can see what sings to your palate and, yeah. and what direction you'd like to take it in. Fab, I love that. I mentioned before about the flavour wheel. I love the fact that within the book there's loads of diagrams and maps. I love maps. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a map of spice origins, like where they, you know, originally coming from. There's a rice pudding variations map. I mean, tell us about that because I didn't know there were so many rice, but I kind of knew a couple of them. Well, that was such fun because, well, I had to include a rice pudding, of course. It's so often a, you know, spiced dish. And I was thinking, where in the world should I include one from? And the more I looked into it, the more I realized that every region has different variations. All include rice, all include spice. And how could I possibly whittle it down to one or two or a few <laughs> options that, of course, we had to make a map, a map. so that you I could see it. how those flavours translate around the world yeah. and who likes what with their rice pudding. And the one in the book is a gorgeous, I think it's black rice pudding, isn't it, with a coconut? There is a black rice and coconut rice pudding with black cardamom. 
And there is also a Norwegian Riz cream, which has got uh, cinnamon and green cardamom, yeah. I think. I love that. I was reading the recipe for the, the black rice pudding and you make this toasted coconut cream to oh. go on top of it from scratch. That was quite impressive. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fun sometimes to experiment, isn't yeah. it, with uh, making your own things. Yeah. There's an interesting couple of pages about spices and fragrance. Can we talk a bit about that? Absolutely. I think that when you're eating, there are two main parts. There's taste that happens on your tongue. There's the main, you know, sweetness, heat, umami. There's the things that happen there. But the majority of flavor is actually happening within your olfactory pack, uh, passages. It's what you smell. So fragrance really is what makes food varied and interesting and exciting. And one of the ways that's best to bring fragrance to your food is using spices. Yeah, love it. And you, you talked about, this was a really interesting point, and it's not about spice, it's about um, laundry detergents. <laughs> it is. Okay, so it interests me what fragrance we're drawn to yeah. and what reminds us of home and being comfortable. And laundry detergents... So I have learned <laughs> around the world are made to evoke a feeling of homeliness, comfort, like cleanliness, and nostalgia. Yeah. And different fragrances are used in different countries to do that. So, for instance, in France, I believe it's often a lavender fragrance. If you go down to southern Europe, you might get more fruity aromas. Uh, in America, it's often a sort of synthetic vanilla smell. So it just shows how the nostalgic, comforting scents that yeah. we're drawn to are regional and there are learned associations. And then I began to think how this really applies to our cooking as well. And there are certain flavours and scents that we're drawn to yeah, like that make us think of home. Like a Christmassy thing. Or for Absolutely. me, you know, like you said, the rice pudding or or like cinnamon to me is such a such a comforting flavour because it kind of reminds me of that home bacon that my grandma used to do or mixed spice, which is very comforting, isn't it? You know, that it you, would, you would get in your kind of traditional bakes, hot cross buns, that kind of thing. You're so right. But go to Nordic countries and it might be licorice yeah. that, that has that same feeling. Yeah. Or in the Middle East, it could be flower waters. Yes. So it, it's a really regional thing about what flavours draw you to the home. Yeah. And the fragrance thing, you had a really neat trick for... Um, for using chocolate to, to work out how fragrance works. Ah, with Yes. Your... If you want to think about the difference between this taste and the fragrance that food can bring, a nice trick is to hold your nose and put a square of good dark chocolate in your mouth and just let it sit there for a moment. Taste what you can taste initially, which will probably be the sweetness, perhaps a little bit of bitterness, yeah. a little acidity. But then release your nose and suddenly the full flavour will overtake you. And that's when the fragrance receptors are being you know, activated and you can really see what a difference it does to that wow. ingredient. I love that. Um, I know we, we touched on this in the last po podcast we did, but I thought we'd just briefly touch on it again, which is kind of getting the most out of your spices, like drawing the flavour out, keeping them, making sure they don't go horrible old and dusty and a cupboard and become not worth using anymore. Absolutely. I've, I've written about a few different 
tricks to making sure that you're getting the best out of your spice, starting with making sure that your spices are fresh. I think we've probably all been guilty of having some spice jars lurking in the back of the cupboard for a long time. And all you need to do is open them up and see what flavour notes you're getting. If it is spicy and interesting and exciting, yeah. it's good to use. If it smells a bit musty and fusty, that's it's what it's going to be bringing to your food. So you want to be able to open it and get the essence of that spice when you smell it. It should Absolutely. Yeah. And ground spices deteriorate much quicker than whole spices. Yeah. So if you're buying ground, you'll probably need to replace more often. Um, if you're using some spices like nutmeg, it's great to grate them at the very Freshly. last moment so that you really get the nuances of flavour rather than just the bittersweet astringency, which is what will stay once it's ground. Yeah. But that immediate fragrance is what you get from freshly grinding. And yeah, I've explored lots of different things for different recipes from what infusing with spices can do, how using them with fats works, yeah. um, how you can use heat to change flavors, all sorts of different ways you can use them in your baking and your sweet cookery to get the most out of Do you the think spice. it helps to kind of, when you're baking with a spice, to to draw it out first, as in, you know, melting it in butter or I've heard about, you know, soaking it in some kind of alcohol first to kind of draw those flavours out? I think it really depends on, one, the recipe you're yeah. doing and mainly the effect that you're after. Oh, okay. And adding, in general, if you add a spice early into cooking, it kind of can lay some groundwork. It'll sit, you know, it'll mellow in with the other mm. ingredients. It'll be spreading its flavour that way. But then if you add it much towards the end, it'll bring a kind of brighter, sharper freshness. So you can even add the same spice at different points in a recipe. Oh, so layer it up. Layering it up. So you oh, could okay. start by, you know, putting in cinnamon, take that. It is drawn out by fat. So if you were to use that in a kind of buttery bake, yeah. you could get that flavour really drawn out. But you can also use cinnamon as a dusting spice right at the end. It doesn't need cooking. So you can dust it over and create quite a different yeah. effect with the same spice. Was there a spice that you, um, at the start of the book, you weren't like maybe a big fan of or yet you didn't use much, but by the end of the book, you were like, I'm in love with this spice. It's my new thing. It's my new cardamom. <laughs> Gosh, to be honest, I don't think there was ever a spice I didn't use much of. I'm guilty of having oh, really? far too large a <laughs> spice say, yeah, collection. As a spice and... <laughs> expert, then maybe that's a hard ask. Was there anything you discovered then that was brand new? or were you... Yes. Passion berries were oh, new to me. Okay. And writing a book about spice and love, as soon as I read about passion berries, I knew I had to source some. Yeah. And uh, I can see this is quite a niche ingredient. <laughs> and I've definitely given spice switches so the recipes don't yes. have to lend on them. But if you do want to get hold of them, they're an amazing Ethiopian berry with a peppery flavor, but also the distinct aroma of passion fruit. Wow. So they are sort of bright and fresh, a little bit tangy. I love that. That was an exciting discovery. Um, let's finish by chatting about a few recipes. One of your fantastic recipes, New Zealand Ginger Crunch. And I love ginger in all its forms. T tell us a bit about that recipe because it's quite interesting, isn't it? The New Zealand Ginger Crunch has is a two-layered bake, yeah. a tray bake, with this kind of oaty, rich, gingery bottom. 
and then a really thick gingery buttercream on top. So it's rich, it's indulgent. You want just a small square, but it's a celebration of ginger, which I love. Yeah. And one of the showstoppers in the book, and we talked about rhubarb and vanilla, and this is rhubarb and rose pavlova, because this time of year, there isn't really much around in terms of fruit, but we've got that beautiful pink forced rhubarb coming in. So Beautiful pink rhubarb. And I chose a whole lot of pink ingredients for it to go with yeah. in this cake. So it's got rose water, it's got pink peppercorns, and it's got pomegranate seeds. Yeah. So it's all floral and tart and delightful. Love that. Okay. Um, so as I said, the book is out and you can find some of the recipes in our issue of Olive magazine. As I said, I was looking on your Instagram earlier and um, you do some really gorgeous little videos of tips and tricks and introducing people to spices and what they can use with them. So is, is that the best place that people can keep up with what you're doing? I think it is. Yeah. Thank you. And that is at Eleanor Ford Food. Yeah, cool. Okay, well, thanks again for coming to chat to us, Eleanor. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, the pleasure's all mine. Thank you. That was the Olive Podcast. For more information, go to olivemagazine.com and don't miss our Little Black Book bonus episodes where guests give us their latest eating, drinking and travel tips out every Wednesday.